0: I forgot to introduce my con celebrant, Father Bob Vanetti. Father Bob is stationed here at the shrine, and uh, he's one of our primary celebrants and confessors. So uh, if you come here any time of the year, you're likely to bump into him, and uh, you will, in fact, truly be blessed by his ministry. I like to point that out. Just as I also like to point out that Brother Ken Galisa is our uh, singer leading us in song and our organist. And uh, he's been here for a number of years. <laughs> I don't want to say this too, too clearly, too often, but he and I were in novitiate together in the previous millennium, <laughs> and uh, Every now and then when uh, I have the good pleasure to hear him sing and play at the organ, I always think it's important to mention him because very often he blends into the woodwork and disappears quickly and quietly. And if you should bump into him, you can tell him how wonderful he is. He He won't blush too badly. Today's gospel, Jesus makes a point of setting in motion, so to speak, the hierarchy of values. We don't seem to be talking about that very much. Very often, people get upset because Pope Francis said something that they think is, seems really out of left field and inappropriate for the Pope to be saying. He should be laying down the law and keeping the hard line. Well, he is keeping down the law and laying down the hard line. But the hard line is that we should love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and all our strength and our neighbors ourself. Today's saint, St. Peter Claver, is an extraordinary example of this hierarchy of values. And it's important for us to think about this Whenever we hear somebody criticizing uh, the Holy Father or any of the bishops or even priests, that sometimes when a pastoral decision is made by a priest, a bishop, or the Holy Father, it's because they're looking at where's the greatest good to be achieved. And it's not always easy to come up with what's the greatest good that we're going to achieve by doing this or choosing to do that. Saint Peter Claver could have very easily stayed in his own diocese surrounded by his friends and family and lived a holy and pious life as a priest. He could have celebrated mass, heard confessions, done funeral masses, anointed the sick, baptized babies, and everyone around him would have loved him and appreciated his ministry. But he would not have become a saint necessarily. He became a saint because he was willing to make extraordinary sacrifices. When he left his comfortable home surroundings He never saw his family ever again, never saw his brothers and sisters, never saw his mother or father ever again. He never really communicated very much except with his uh, superiors, and there is very little communication back from his superiors. And it's important for us to realize that, to realize sometimes God calls us to step out of what is comfortable and familiar, to do a greater good. And the greater good that St. Peter Claver did was he became a slave to slaves. The slave trade was at its most flourishing when he left the comfort of home to go to South America, to Cartagena, and there to minister first and foremost to the most marginalized of human beings. People who had been sold into slavery by their own neighbors in many cases. People who had survived truly a death-defying trip across the Atlantic. It's hard for us to imagine the sufferings endured by those people. And when finally they came to the new world, they were genuinely unsure what was going on, what they were being prepared for. In some cases, thanks to some of the people who were able to translate, Peter Claver discovered that many of the people, many of the slaves that he was attempting to minister to thought that they were being prepared for cannibalism. The first time I read that, it shocked me. It shocked me to think that they could think that a man in a cassock who was trying to heal their wounds, who was trying to nurture them, to comfort them, might be the head cook and that they might be the main encore. Hard to imagine what was going through their minds with that immense language barrier going on. But it didn't take long before they realized that Peter Claver was trying to heal them. He was attempting to his best ability to heal, first of all, their physical wounds, ailments and illnesses to comfort them by giving them blankets and something warm to wrap themselves in. But when he ran out of that, he gave them everything he could find to get his hands on, anything at all to provide for them. And it's hard to imagine how heartbreaking that must have been for him to think that they thought he meant to harm them. It must have boggled his imagination to think that he as a priest could be identified as a threat to them. After all the sacrifices he made to love them, to bring them some sort of spark of God's love for them. I think that most priests and many of you probably have had an experience where you were trying to do the right thing, where you thought that you were saying the right thing that somebody needed to hear, and yet they didn't receive it as an act of charity. They didn't perceive that what you were doing was an attempt to preserve their immortal soul. Sometimes, especially in this day and age, we tell people to avoid sexual relations outside of marriage. And they think that we're a leftover from the dark ages and that we mean them harm, that we're not allowing them to reach their full potential. No, it's because we know that both medical and psychological science has said to us over and over again, that it's best for the human soul that we maintain a level of chastity before marriage to the best of our ability. It's for the best of our eternal well-being that we follow the commandments. But following the commandments can seem very strange and particularly burdensome for people who have been brought up in an age where Christianity has become foreign. And very often when church leaders try to present Christianity in a way that it might be more acceptable to people who have existed outside of Christianity for most of their lives, if not all of their lives. It seems like they've abandoned too much of the faith. But we need to pause for a moment. We need to not judge others. We need to ask ourselves, what is the greatest good? What is the greatest good that I can achieve? Sometimes people will tell me, oh, I tell my grandchildren or I tell my children constantly that they need to do this, they need to do that. They got to go to church every Sunday. They got to take their kids to church every Sunday. And I would be the last person to say that that's not a great good. It is in fact good for them to go to church every Sunday. It is in fact good for them to take their children to church every Sunday. But before they can take that step, they need to change their mind about what it is to go to church. To go to church is an opportunity to give thanks to Almighty God who has given us every good thing that we have in our lives. To go to church every Sunday is an opportunity to thank God that we're able to still function. We forget that sometimes. We don't have before us the image of what it is to live in hunger, in misery, in stupidity, in doubt. There are literally billions of people who live in darkness And what do they need more than anything else? They need the light of Christ and his church. We forget that. We forget that and instead we tell them about different rules that they have to do in order to achieve God's love. Stop, God already loves them. When Peter Claver came upon the slaves as they came off the boat, he knew in the depths of his heart, God already loved them because they had existence. God wanted them to become saints, just as much as God wants me and you to become saints, just as much as God wanted Peter Claver to become a saint. But you and I aren't called to be slaves of slaves. Very often you and I are called to be slaves of the person right next to us. Very often you and I are called to be slaves of our spouse, our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our fellow parishioners. And we need to ask ourselves on a regular basis, I know that I need to love God with my whole heart, my whole strength. I know that I need to love my neighbor completely as Christ loves him, but how do I do it? Do I do it by nagging them into doing the right thing? I suppose it's worked occasionally. I've spoken to a few Italians and Irish grandmothers who think they've nagged their children into holiness, but I gotta be honest with you. I think most people come to love God because somebody who loves God has shared the reason why they love God. Because somebody who loves God has loved them, even though they perceive themselves to be unlovable. It is one of the heaviest crosses of modern humanity It is one of the curses of social media and of smartphones that we spend so much time allowing ourselves to be distracted that we forget to look into the depths of our hearts and consider our own pain. Our perception of ourselves is warped by what we watch and by what we watch becomes what we think. If you watch things that compare you to supermodels, you will never see yourself as lovable. If you compare yourself to extremely wealthy people, you will never see yourself as valuable. If you compare yourself to the wrong people, the fact of the matter is you will have such a low esteem for yourself that you will be incapable of imagining that God loves you. One of the hardest realities of our lives is that God not only loves us, but that we are the obstacle to God's love individually. St. Faustina's great message is the little phrase at the bottom of the divine mercy image, Jesus, I trust in you. If you and I can present ourselves before Jesus, either in front of a divine mercy image, or even better, if we can present ourselves before Jesus in his Eucharistic presence, body and blood, soul and divinity, present in the Eucharist in the tabernacle, or present in the Eucharist on the sacrifice of the altar. If you and I can come before Jesus and say from the depths of our heart, Jesus, I trust in you. We don't need to worry about anything else. We don't need to fear the future. These days, people are very fearful of the future. These days people are very fearful of hundreds of little things that they think can damage their life. But nothing, absolutely nothing can damage your life as much as sin. And very clearly put, sin is whenever we don't love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and all our strength. Sin is the greatest evil in the world. I don't care if you're a die-hard Democrat, it is not the Republican Party that's the greatest sin in the world. I don't care if you think that Trump is the uh, greatest president that ever lived. The Democrats are not the greatest sin in the world. Politics is human discourse and it will pass. It has passed before. I can remember as a child people saying, oh, they'll never be a Catholic president. Catholics owe their allegiance to the Holy Father, a foreign uh, entity. No, that'll never happen. It's happened twice now. And we have not become vassals of some overlord in the Vatican. The truth of the matter is people are scared of everything that's unfamiliar and unknown. People are actually scared of God who created us out of love to love him. Why are they scared of God? Because they don't know him. How do they come to know Christ? The same way that the slaves that were cared for by Peter Claver came to know Christ by the love that was shown them. How can you be a minister of God's truth? By being a minister of God's love. By loving others with your whole heart, mind, soul, and all your strength. Did the disciples today sin by plucking heads of wheat and crushing it in their hands to eat them raw? No, because Jesus said there was a greater good to be had. There was a greater principle involved. They were hungry and needed something to eat so that they could refocus their attention on God, the source of every good gift, including that little handful of wheat. Very often, you and I get so fixated on minutia on small little matters and we think oh i i I can't do this or i can't do that because i'm not smart enough or holy enough or whatever enough faustina showed us the way very clearly in her prayer about lord help me to be merciful she talks about it she says if you can do the good deed, do the good deed. If you can give the good advice, the counsel that people need to hear to guide them in holiness, give them the good counsel. But even if you can't do the deed and you can't give the counsel, you can pray for them. And that's what we as members of the Holy Soul Sodality do every day. We can't feed the souls that are already in purgatory. We can't counsel the souls already in purgatory, but we can pray for them. And it's very important that we pray for them because in the Catholic Catechism, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, I always forget it, it's the CCCC, that very importantly, whatever prayers we offer for the souls in purgatory comes back to us because they become more capable of interceding for us so that we too can grow in holiness. When we talk about our faith to others, we should never say anything negative. We should only mention the positive. We should only talk about the things as Saint Paul would say, men need to hear to lift them up in holiness, to give them a renewal of hope. This coming year, 2024, is supposed to be the year of hope. And what you and I can do is what St. Peter Claver did, give people hope.
1: Are you a Marian helper? Join our Spiritual Benefit Society and start sharing in the graces of all the daily Masses